Welcome to the Walk With Me podcast. I'm Pastor Stephen Vaughn from the Vine Church in Chapel Hill, Tennessee, and I'm excited that you are walking with me. What we do each day is we look at about three chapters of Scripture that I'm just organically reading through in my time with the Lord, and we're going to discuss them for around 20 minutes. You're going to get the most out of this if you read these chapters individually, but hopefully together we'll be able to hear the voice of the Lord as we're meeting each day. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. I'm stepping, I'm stepping out on your word. Today's passage is from Isaiah 28, 29, and chapter 30. <clears throat> and these three, these three chapters are really long each. Um, probably close to, I think, 90. <clears throat> Roughly, yeah. Uh, 90 or so verses of scripture just between those three chapters. So I usually do a a fairly poor job of covering the major concepts in three chapters. So I will do um, an even poorer job today (laughs) due to the, the amount of text that we have in these three chapters, which is okay, you know, and there's many ways to study the word and, one way that we must always study the word is sitting in the, in under it and, and opening it with a heart of submission to it. And <clears throat> even if you read a chapter three times, you read three chapters, you read five chapters. You know, you just want to let the let the Lord minister to you through His Word. And sometimes you're gonna really be captivated by the context of what's happening. And sometimes you're going to really understand it and you're going to have light bulbs going off left and right based off of um, the the original context of how it was written. And other times it's going to be personal application. And sometimes it's going to be just the fresh spoken word of God to you in your situation. And other times it's going to be things that you're reading that's stored up for later. Um, But by reading it, you store it. Like Psalm 119 says, we're hiding the word in our heart. And then um, it says, I've hidden your word in, in, your, in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So I'm hiding these words in my heart. And then the Holy Spirit, who is the great reminder of all things, can can bring them forth. And so when you read the word, I just, you know, don't get... Um, just understand that every time is going to be a different experience. Sometimes it's just all going to connect. And there's going to be parts of the Bible that you're more familiar with. You know, like if you were to read the first three chapters in Genesis, you already have this understanding of what's happening. So you're looking deeper than the surface. Whereas other parts of Scripture, perhaps like this one, like Isaiah, you may still be trying to grasp it for um not 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 like it's the first time that you've ever read it but just trying to get the whole context of it you know and so i just wanted to cover that to say give yourself grace as you're studying god's word because it's not always about understanding every word of it this is the pursuit of your life you know this isn't a this isn't a good book you're trying to get through one time this is the pursuit of your life as soon as you finish through reading it you're going to start back at the beginning and you're going to do it again and again and again and again and it's alive and so is going to minister to you um, 
unique and different every single time. And it's ministering to me unique and different every time. And it's ministering to me differently than it's even ministering to you. And so, you know, uh, even, even as we're, even as we're reading, I mean, well, you could read these three chapters and I could read these three chapters and I could come, come and talk about X, Y, and Z. And you could think, I can't believe he didn't even mention verse 16. That was amazing. Well, you know, I probably thought it was amazing too. Or maybe I just read right past it and totally missed it. You know, and, and that's okay because it just wasn't right. It wasn't quite the word that jumped off the page at me in this moment, in this season of life, you know? And so it's just, a, that's just the neat thing about the word of God. So I, I say that to say, I'm going to cover some major things in these three chapters, but they're so long. I'm just going to try to hit the things that grabbed my, uh, grabbed my heart the most. And so <clears throat> it starts off in 28 and says, ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. And it jumps down and it says, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. And, um, it, you know, then it even goes on to say, um, in that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment. And strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. They also reel with wine and stagger with strong, strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk. Those taken from the breast. For it is... Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak, the Lord will speak to his people to whom he has said, there is rest, give rest to the weary. And so just this whole concept is just, talks a lot about alcohol actually in this chapter, keeps referencing uh, this drunkenness of wine and this staggering of strong drink and while I think a great application for it is, of course, to to keep a vigilance about us with alcohol, and, and all Christians should, okay? That's just the truth of it is, is regardless of what participation you play personally with alcohol, that's between you and the Lord. But I can say definitively that Scripture says that you should have a a sense of vigilance against the misuse of alcohol, okay? So that what I'm saying is, Christians can never let our guard come down when it comes to alcohol. I don't partake of alcohol in any way, shape, or form. And um, I haven't for years. And that's a conviction that's on my life that to me it's too dangerous to get close to. And other people, I even know people um, that are in ministry that are, you know, that, you know, will we'll, we'll drink on occasion and, and, um, I'm not really here to talk about that too long. I just want to say, though, that I do think that there should never be a point that we could let our guard down with it because of how much it does affect our judgment and because of how addictive it is and how it, it, it defiles our discernment and uh, it clouds our mind. 
You know what I'm saying? That's why I love the scripture. This was the scripture that made me give up alcohol. It says, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk or be full of the spirit instead. And it just made me realize that when I would drink, it was like I was filling myself with a wine that wasn't new wine. It was like I was intoxicating myself in something that wasn't the Lord's spirit. And I just, I just literally felt like the fire that when I would drink the fire of God that was burning within me, it's like I was pouring water on it when I would drink alcohol. Not that I was being condemned, but I could literally feel a quenching of the power that was within me, if that makes sense, right? And that was just me. That's how I felt. I remember feeling it like, wow, you know, this might be good for a second. This might, you know, you know, get you out of your shell or out of your box, or this might be a good social thing, or you might like the taste of it or whatever. But I could literally feel it was like the wattage of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life was being turned down every time I would take a sip. And at this point in my life, I'm, I, when I was experiencing this, I would, I'd already experienced enough of Jesus and the joy of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit that I thought, I don't want to do anything to dampen this great thing that is within me. And I think most people that still like to drink a lot maybe have not yet experienced such great power. And so for them, they don't feel this quenching that I'm that I that I was experiencing, you know. And then I don't know. Maybe there's others that don't feel that way, and that's just not that's just not their conviction. But I, I don't want to I don't want to necessarily condemn you if you're one that partakes in alcohol. I just want to say we could never get to a place to where we're, where we're comfortable around it. Period. You can't get to a place as a Christian to where you're comfortable with your alcohol consumption. And to me, that makes me want to stay away from it because to me it's stressful having something in my life that I have to keep such a close watch on okay because that's that's the thing of it is you, you, when you drink you cloud your judgment and you want to drink more and you want to drink more and it's a slippery slope and so um th- this is happening and the the I think alcohol is also used here as a big picture of not just alcohol but just the whole idea of being addicted to pleasure because alcohol is something that pleases us in a moment's time. Nobody sets their, their, you can always tell what's, uh, instant gratification of the flesh and, and what's, uh, the things of the spirit and what are things of wisdom. Nobody ever sets their New Year's resolution as I want to drink more this year, right? I, I didn't drink enough last year. I want to drink more. I want to, you know, the same with eating. Nobody's like, you know, I didn't have enough good food this last year. I want more. Um, good food. I really want to eat well. Uh, like, like I really want to eat like just really tasty, delicious stuff this year. You know, I really, you know, nobody sets their resolutions as those things. Why? Because in that moment when you're thinking about your year, you're thinking about the person that you want to come out of the year as. You're not thinking about the instant gratification of each moment and each day. And that's the place where alcohol exists. It exists always in the place of trying to find instant gratification. And um, it's dangerous to become a person that is always looking for instant gratification and pleasure. And I think that's what alcohol represents here. It's a bigger concept than just alcohol. It represents gluttony. It represents TV. It represents anything. We can be blinded by our addiction to pleasure. And when I'm literally, if I have such a passion for pleasure and instant gratification, it will it will replace my desire for justice. It will replace my desire for righteousness. And I'll lose 
one day at a time of my life until all the days have passed by if I just please myself each day for a day's time. It's like numbing myself. It's like it's like self-medicating my way through life to not look deep at matters, to not seek wisdom, to not hear from the Lord, to not seek a fresh vision, to not look for a fresh assignment for my feet. It's like, no, just have a little more food, have a little more drink, you know, and just, you know, have a little more money, take a few more trips. And you just literally, you, you medicate your way through life until eventually you, there's no more of your life left to live. And so that this has been happening to people for a long time. And it doesn't happen just through alcohol. It happens through many things. And so we have to keep a watch on making sure that I'm just not addicted to pleasure, that I'm enjoying the good things that God's given me. You know, it says, eat, drink, be merry. You know, I'm enjoying my family. You know, it's Christmas time. And, you know, we're, I love to get some eggnog and bake some cookies and decorate the tree. And, you know, but that's, that's not the pursuit of my life is to bake cookies and drink eggnog every single night with my family because, um, there's just nights where that's just not what I'm called to do, you know? And so I'm not just addicted to that personal comfort, that pleasure. And so that was one thing that jumped off at me is just God was literally looking for people to minister through. And he was looking at the priest and the prophets and he's saying, they won't do it. They won't go where I want them to go. They won't say what I want them to say because they're too drunk. And it's like, that just shows me too, that if I become a person who's a constantly addicted to my own pleasure, that I, I, um, I eliminate a portion of God's ability to use me, uh, because he's not looking for people that are, we won't be looking for him if we're always looking for pleasure. And so I need to make sure that, that my, the compass of my heart isn't always pointed towards immediate instant gratification, because that won't point me towards you know, uh, Jesus. And you see through Jesus's life, through his fasting and through his ministry of others and through, you know, he wasn't a person. Jesus, when he was walking in the flesh, he was embodying the will of God and he was embodying the life that we should walk. And you could see how he did, he did each thing in season. He, you know, would fellowship with friends. He would be with people and, you know, he would break bread and he would do all these things, but he would also retreat to isolation and he also would fast and he did all these things. And you could just tell he wasn't addicted to pleasure. He was addicted to, to obeying the will of God. And that's, I feel like you can't have it both ways. You have to make a choice. Is the passion of my life to pursue God or is the passion of my life to pursue prosperity and pleasure? And so, you know, that, that was happening during this time. And then um, he goes in the end of this chapter. Well, he says that whoever believes, there's going to become this future time where whoever believes in me will not be haste. And he said, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And the plumb line is an interesting thing to study sometime because a plumb line is a way of which how they would use, they would use it in construction. They would use it as, as a, as a way of like how to make a straight line. And it's, you know, they would, how to make something level, you know? And so basically there's, the Lord's saying is, I'm going to come and I'm going to literally sh show you 
what is justice? What what is righteousness? And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a plumb line inside of me that literally I have access to know when I'm off and how to straighten things up and how to adjust things and how to build my life. And so uh, that's a beautiful that's a beautiful passage. And then it goes down to the end too, and it says, "Give ear and hear my voice." And then it starts to use about it starts to talk about um, all these relatable practical things where it says. Uh, uh, does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter the dill, sow the cumin, and put in wheat, wheat and rose? And he's basically saying, look at the farmer and look at how he's doing all these things. And look at how common and practical that this makes sense to you. As like You would not think that a farmer would just go out there and constantly till up his ground all season and not put anything into the ground. And then once he puts it in the ground, you, wouldn't, you would be really surprised to see him go out there and till up, till up all the work that he's done. And he goes, you see how common this is? And then he goes on and he goes, who do you think taught him this kind of stuff? It says, this comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. And so he's saying, I'm already teaching you how to do the very things that you're doing now. So why not grant me access to teach you everything? Because even the little things that you have came from me. And so then in, in chapter 29, it goes forward and um, it talks about uh, that uh, he, he said that, uh, sorry, I'm trying to find, I have so little time I'm trying to find exactly which, which verses I want to highlight. Um, he says, because this people, verse 13, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And, you know, and then it goes forth and, and he says, ah, you, you who hide deep from the Lord, your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, who sees us, who knows us, who turns upside down, uh, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker did he did not make me. And so it's saying we should just, you know, there's, there's a, there's a tendency to just honor God with our lips and keep our heart from him and not to live in this constant state of acknowledgement that he made me. You know, I love Psalm 100. It says, the Lord made me. We are his, the sheep of his pasture. Like there's something powerful and just continuously acknowledging in your life. I was made by God. I was made for God. I'm in God's hands. I'm the play and I'm the clay in the potter's hands. I'm the sheep in his sheepfold. He's watching me. He's leading me. He's providing for me. And there's a form of wickedness that is always attempting to make us forget who our maker is. There's a, there's a form of wickedness that is always trying to get, draw us into complacent seasons where we honor God with our lips, but we keep our hearts away from him. And he's not pleased by that. He does not please with lip service. He wants your heart. And so then uh, into chapter 30, um, chapter 30 is pretty awesome. Um, there's going to be this time, you know, it's talking, and I think we've seen some of this. And I think we're going to see more of this where people are going to say to the prophets, don't see, uh, to, they're going to say to the, to the prophets, prophesy to us what is right. It's a people that are just itching to hear uh, good and pleasant things all the time. And, um, but then it says, uh, that, you know, that's not going to work. I'm going to tear all that out of there. And then later on it says, um, in returning, and rest, verse 15, in returning and rest, you shall be saved in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. I love that verse. It jumped off the page at me because I thought how beautiful of a strength 
that quietness is. I'm learning that and I'm relearning that and I'm relearning that and uh, then I'm relearning that (laughs) because as a preacher I like to talk and sometimes I accidentally um, speak I overspeak and I speak death into situations. I don't mean into other people's lives. I'm, I think I'm more selective with my speech for other people than I am for myself. Meaning when I begin to vent about some of the things that are happening in my life, I get too carefree with it. And there's just a special strength to quietness. Meaning if I'm believing God for something, you you, you almost have to become like the Israelites did when they walked around Jericho. Joshua said, don't say a word. We always think about that big shout that they let out, right? But there was no, there was a stillness and a quiet that came uh, throughout the whole journey until the shout came. And so there's just something about stillness and quietness. If I'm really believing God's going to do it, then I can't talk about it because I don't want to speak doubt into the situation. So if I'm really believing God's going to touch my finances, I can't be a person going around going, yeah, we just don't have any money, right? Because that's you're, you're literally stating with your mouth and you're calling forth to the surface of your mind the unbelief that actually still resides in you for what you've said you're believing God for. And so there's just something powerful about believing and praying and then the quietness of trusting and waiting. And so um, then at the end of this chapter, it says... Um, he will surely be gracious to you, and uh, the Lord will give, it says, let's see, uh, the Lord will give you the bread uh, of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers, but so, your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear um, a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images, and you will scatter them as unclean things, and you will say to them, be gone. That's that's actually, I you know, I had so much to talk about today. Of course, I didn't have a chance to talk about that as much as I wanted to. That's Look at that, just your own thing, because I think that was my favorite passage from this portion, was chapter 30, verses... 20 through 22 um, because what he's saying is there's going to come a future time and this we're living in this future time because of the Holy Spirit he's saying you're going to have uh, in the future you're going to literally hear uh, your teacher's voice tell you which way to go whether it's right or if it's left and in that day you're going to smash and destroy every false idol because there's going to be a, con- a conviction that's in you that wants to literally tear down the unholy things of your life because you feel the Holy Spirit of God living in you and you're going to literally have this wisdom residing from you on the inside as soon as you turn to the right or if you turn to the left you're going to know if this is the right way or the wrong way and I just love that promise because we need to press into that because we have built-in navigation uh, inside of us through God's Holy Spirit. We don't have to live like the world does and chase pleasure, and we don't have to live as the world does and just guess at what we think is right for our life. We can take counsel from the Lord and watch as He leads us to the places that only He can lead us. So let's just dwell on that and enjoy that today and try to grow in listening to that navigation that the Lord's given us through the power of His Holy Spirit.